Hello, ciao, and welcome back to the Chronicles of a Black Italian Woman. My name is Benedetta Giumpa, and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. Hello, 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 people of the internet. We are back. And I told you last time, that probably was the last time I was gonna write in solo. Yes, because diaspora is back. And when diaspora is back, it means I have a guest. To remind you, diaspora is the segment in which I'm in conversation with people of the African diaspora and beyond. So today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Maya. She's the head of content of Colore. On Instagram, you may know her as well as Cover in Layers. And also, she's a one-third of the podcast, We Belong Europe. I'm so excited to have her because she's such good energy. And I'm sure we're going to have a great episode Hello, Sumi. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making such a great introduction of myself. I couldn't have done it any better. Um, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I think my energy is slowly coming back. So I think having guests on the podcast probably is a sign of my energy coming back. So feeling a little bit better. What about great. you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, this year has been a bit of a roller coaster and I don't know if we can mention time, but now we're six months in and just like you, I feel like my energy is coming back again. That's good. That's good to hear. Of course, you can mention time on this podcast and uh, yeah, I'm glad that your energy is coming back. I wonder if there is something in the air. So I actually like, is there something else you want to tell the people about who you are, about the introduction? I hope I haven't missed anything. I think, I think you made a very powerful introduction. There's nothing for me to add. I guess, you know, um, I'm actually not good at these things, you know, about like so highly about myself. But I think that that's a common problem in the diaspora because I know I'm not the only one and I had this conversation over and over again. I guess it has to do with like the way we were raised and all of that you know that better than me you know um yeah. everybody was better than us <laughs> you mm. know in school um everywhere basically yeah of course relatable but we are only ourselves and we're learning to own our space absolutely so, yeah so we are recording today on republic day in italy so you mentioned you're from the diaspora and uh you're originally Moroccan, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, what does it, did it mean for you growing up as Italian, Moroccan, and also Muslim in Italy? Okay, that's a very long one. So let's divide it into, you know, into compartments. I guess the first compartment is like being a child of immigrants in general. So um, I was born 25 years ago. And I think things were new, like having kids from, like children of immigrants in classes was something new even for, for the teachers. I remember one of the teachers saying to my mom that, yeah, I was the first child of immigrants she had as a student. Um, especially from from North Africa. She did have some Asian students but never had like African students. It was new. People made a lot of questions. A lot of also like inappropriate questions just because I guess, I mean, now that I'm older and I guess I had the means to analyze it and deconstruct it a bit, something I realized is that, you know, everything that, that's white is 
always been narrated as the norm, you know? So mm. that's why when you don't fit the standard, you get so many questions and some of them are really inappropriate. And then I have this thing that, so in a way, in my family, not everybody looks the same. And it's very normal in, in Morocco. Some people have um, like skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, and some others have black skin, 4C hair, you know, bigger noses, plumped lips, and all of that. And it's the same in my family. <laughs> half of my family <laughs> looks really white, and the other half looks really African. And in a way, I'm like, my skin is lighter than my dad and darker than my mom, <laughs> if, just to give you an idea. So and interesting. I, and I have this thing for which, if I'm not close to the sun, I'm... My, my skin is usually like lighter and then when I was younger we used to go to Morocco for like a whole month in the summer and I would spend the whole month at the beach and when I would come back I would have like a much darker skin because you know I don't get sunburned <laughs> I get sun kids darling and I remember I used to confuse the, the the kids in my class they would ask me but what are you are you black are you white what are you they were really really confused because they wouldn't see that change in their skin Skin. and and that was always a topic it was always a topic and I'll, I'm also like a strong believer of like kid hearing things at home and then reporting them back at, at school or like you know bringing them as like topic of conversations among the other kids so I bet that was also a topic in their houses for like the Muslim part again I guess Christianity or mainly like Catholicism is is narrated as the norm in Italy. So um, kids used to feel sorry for me that I didn't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. But I did know that Santa didn't exist. But I wasn't the one who spoiled it to the class. I was really not... Because my parents would have been so mad at me if I would have spoiled to the kids that Santa did not exist. Um, that was one thing. And then I guess for all like the religious choices that like I made, that of course didn't affect anyone, but everybody like wanted to know. No, I guess not I guess like for sure <laughs> I know this for a fact when I when I started wearing hijab then I started getting all sort of like crazy questions about faith because I in the it, before like you know the only sorry that was an alarm from my watch I'll just re-say that um before wearing hijab I would just like stand out because of like my name my hair I have curls thick curls uh for the record and and stuff like that and my skin that changed that changed color every time and then and because like you see nothing of like people's faith if you think about it you know it's not that you go into the class or go to your workplace and you start preaching it's not what we do so then I started wearing hijab and that's when I started the questions about religion started but I, I guess it I guess I, I'm just saying I guess a lot <laughs> the questions about hijab started and I could see that they were all related to how the media like stigmatized women that wear hijab because the only narration the only dominant narration about islam or rather the only narration that exists in traditional media has to do with terrorism and fanatism but that's what 0.1 percent and there are like two billion muslims in the world and what i always say to people if we were all terrorists you wouldn't stand a chance <laughs> honestly imagine like two billion people that, that's it you know, th that's it <laughs> that's it um so, and at a certain point, you, you react in two ways. I guess in the beginning, you really want to, you really want to deconstruct that. And then you get tired and <laughs> you either mock people, you know, when they tell you, but do you sleep in that? Yeah. Do you shower in it? Of course. 
It reminds me of a question that my sister got asked the other day. They asked her if she was born with blue hair because she has blue braids right now. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But I also feel like this goes back to, to what I was saying to you before. Like white and whatever is considered to be... And white and everything that is considered to be black. Uh, <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, Going back to... what to what I was saying before, you know, that everything that's white and considered to be white has been narrated as the norm for such a long time that when people see something different, they don't think it's even human, you know? Wow, that's deep, that's deep. And let me make an example. They always seem like something super alien from another planet. Islam is one of the three Abrahamic religions. So technically, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity have a lot in common, you know, because they have the Old Testament in common. Yeah. We are cousins. We are cousins. Like yeah, we're cousins. And and literally, like Jews, Jews and Muslims are literally cousins. <laughs> and you know, but then people ask all sorts of questions that make you understand that they they really feel like it's something like so alien, you know. But then when you start telling people that you also believe in Jesus and that you know you know exactly what Adam and Eve is and all of that, they're like, oh my God, really? And how is that? And then you start telling them, you know, it's nothing alien. <laughs> like even like Christianity didn't start in Europe, you know, it started in Jerusalem. And just because like painters in the Middle Ages painted um, Jesus Christ and, and Mary to be white, I-, I promise you they weren't. Yeah, that's deep. That's deep. That's deep. You touch on so many things. I'm just uh, like, whoa. Just, uh, like, oh, yeah. Whoa. It was a lot of teaching, you know, reteaching people. But then, I don't know if this is part of your questions. Then growing up, I learned that I also had to re-narrate, like change the narrative. And the narrative that I had to change was the narrative that I had about myself. Because I get... I was so lost in the process of like teaching others that didn't teach myself to like what I what I uh, I was so d- densely immersed in this process of like teaching others that I I didn't have time to unlearn certain things and start to for example like what I saw in the mirror every morning what I still see in the mirror every morning actually you know because you're so busy dealing with other people's biases you don't realize yours and you develop some sort of like fatigue from this that's why I told you that at a certain point I just like started making people realize that the questions they were asking were just stupid especially when it's like people you interact with like for a long period of time and I think they can grasp that you're actually like super ordinary (laughs) and then they start asking you know stupid questions such as like do you shower in that do you do that and also I'm the kind of person honestly that I never show my hair to people especially people I work with and stuff like that even if I if I could you know because I know there's like this huge obsession and then people will start talking about my hair and stuff like that so I just avoid it and the only people I I show my hair to are like people I really trust (laughs) if you get me Um, you know because this 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 whole it's like a whole fetish um you know so that that's you know an added thing but you know i can you technically told me that i can see them why don't you show me no so then that can be the topic of a whole conversation and no 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 no. but yeah like i said people would see that you're pretty ordinary that you do all kind of stuff that everybody else does but still they would ask you know do you sleep in that do you shower in that do you so i started just like saying yeah sure you know yeah sometimes you go on a plane of course of course (laughs) 
Of course. <laughs> yeah, I can so relate to different things that you've said, especially the fact that you get so used to like answering other people's questions or something's developing a form of people pleasing because you try to be mm-hmm. palatable as well when you are one of the few among many others, especially in western societies and in a society we both grew up in Italy like you try your best to become as palatable and so on that you kind of forget to truly embrace yourself and love yourself and honor yourself that it can exactly. be very exhausting and people I don't think they realize sometimes they get offended by the fact that you don't want to answer some questions at some point or you you feel upset about answering some questions that you have answered on multiple occasions or questions that they could have answered themselves if they wanted to truly i mean like truly know about who we are because i think some at some point people develop some form of laziness i think because if you are so curious about mm-hmm. it let it be the hijab let it be the hair let it be the skin in 2022 you can google it there is tiktoks that are very helpful as well so i don't think it, at some point i think it's laziness at some point because i found it absurd all the time Absolutely. we have Absolutely. to answer the same questions that we've been answering for the past 20 plus years And I'm like, there's a Google, you know? And of course, like, there are a lot of content creators doing amazing work. And the thing is that, you know, when it comes to, like, the content you find on the internet, of course, there's going to be content that's more accurate and content that is, like, less accurate. But that's because, once more, just because you happen to also belong to a certain niche. When I say also belong to a certain niche, I mean that, for example, if you create content on makeup and you're a black woman i don't see why you should always you should always answer people questions about racism and why people should also follow you for for that you know of course if you want to talk about it you're you're absolutely free to talk about it but you're not an activist you're not a sociologist you're not a lecturer at some universities that's the kind of person you should ask and you know sometimes people grew up in super liberal areas and they're lucky enough to never had had like many microaggressions like you know you know what i'm talking about they yeah, grew up no, in areas absolutely. where yeah they, they grew up in areas that were super multicultural so they didn't, never had to ask many questions their teachers were educated they were the ones answering the questions so and so they never got really interested into the topic because that was my experience at some point meeting certain people that grew up in in certain areas and i don't see why they should be answering questions about racism just a content creator that happens to also be muslim should like answer questions about faith they're not a scholar i'm like they're not a scholar there are a lot of books written by scholars and people with the proper qualifications for it and those are probably the sources people should go to uh available for free online I'm, i'll make you an example i know a lot than the average person about like christianity and judaism for example and i didn't go to church you know to learn that yeah just i didn't mm, just absolutely. like i didn't go to the synagogue to learn that and i never yes. stalked any christian to give me answers i never stalked any uh, uh jewish person to give me answers on judaism so this is this is it you know but like even on like hair because i was always like pretty curious about hair like i said some people in my family do wear wigs because you know they have 4c hair and or like they braided and such but it never felt right to go to like a cousin or an aunt and ask 
asked her why she did that, <laughs> I just like looked it up for myself. That's because it. Because I know the feeling that you cannot even go and grab a cup of coffee at the bar without the barista asking you, how come you speak so Italian so well? Dang, I cannot even have coffee in peace. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I also, I'm the same as well. I never feel comfortable going up to people and asking them questions. And this translated into me being an adult, having difficulty asking questions, even about my job sometimes, because mm -hmm. I've... I grew up feeling so uncomfortable being questioned that I barely asked questions because of the discomfort that whenever people will ask me questions. So I'm me absolutely too. with you with the fact that I don't go and ask questions, but actually I will do my research. So I wouldn't make that person uncomfortable. And I could relate also to the, to the fact that you said that you don't show your hair, for example, to people that you could show it because then you know that will become the topic. Because for example, most of the time I'm at work, I don't oftentimes say I wear a wig. You can know. If you ask me, I may tell you, I may not tell you, depends on who I'm talking with. But at the same time, for example, at my workplace, now I worked there for about four years. I never went to my workplace with my natural hair. And okay. the reason being is it's not because I can't. I know I can, but I don't want it to become awkward where people oh so i can touch your hair oh but why is it like that so what happens when you do this and that and that and that so i find my way to navigate my workspace in a certain mm -hmm. way so the day that i don't want to wear a wig i just wear a wrap for example and where i wear a wig and people being nice i'd be like okay nice thank you like and i just yeah. limit the conversation because i don't like to be the topic of the conversation the whole time and i don't want you to always question what's up with my hair or whatsoever or become my hair becoming the old object of a 10 minute conversation and yeah. then the next other 10 minute conversation and then the other next minute conversation no i just want to live in the freedom of not being questioned all the time or not yeah. having my personal space being invaded so and it, on one side it's annoying because i'm just thinking I should just be able to show up however I want to show up, right? But at the same time, you're just so conscious of your environment that you do kind of limit your expression to avoid uncomfortable interactions. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I have another question that maybe was not that planned, but your English girl, like, so good. Thank you. Can you tell me, like, where you've learned your English? Because it sounds beautiful. I just love Thank listening. Thank you. With a lot of listening, actually. I grew up bilingual, but not in English. It was, like, Italian and Arabic. And if there's anything I realized is that if you listen to a sound very often, you tend to... You, you can be able to imitate it. <laughs> so, so this accent is born out of like a lot of listening. And of course, what's available around is mostly like Hollywood products. So they have an American accent. Although I did spend some time in, in the UK, I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, it just does not come natural to me. And it's because when we speak Italian, Italian is my native language and we open our mouth a lot. To have a British accent, you need to speak with like a closed mouth and a flat 
tongue. I can do it, although it doesn't come natural to me. It's, you know, it's a bit forced. I could try, but at the same time, I don't feel that comfortable talking this way. It's so unnatural to me. Wow, you so, yeah. sound amazing. I swear, you do <clears throat> sound like you're from, oh, proper from you, London, darling. girl. Thank you, darling. But, yeah, I could probably pose as a lady, although I'm not that good with aristocracy. <laughs> no, but I love it. It's a lot of I listening. I grew up yeah. bilingual, you know. Um, I, I always spoke both Italian and Arabic. And if there's anything that I learned is that... Because I didn't, like, learn Arabic from, like, being in the Arab world. I never lived there. I, I was born and raised in Italy. So my speaking Arabic like a native comes from listening to two natives speaking. And I applied that same principle to, like, every language I learned from there on. And, you know, what was what is available is, like, a lot of, like, shows and movies and such and of course most like i said most of the product is available in it comes from hollywood so it's american english mostly but it's fine i guess but most people like understand this better than like a british accent because of the non-rotic r because in britain they park the car uh they park the car in, in america they park the car although i will still give you british i i think you sound more british than american or do to my do I? I saw it. okay i don't know but yeah. any, anyways my my point was to not sound like uh, you know I came I come from Italy so I, I, talk, I talk in English like this uh, and that, that was my purpose my purpose was to never sound like this again and, uh, <laughs> to and I think and I think I succeeded then and then the second goal was to be as understandable as possible and I think when I talk like this it's pretty understandable oh my gosh you reminded me of this guy on Love Island when he said he said I cannot even say the good morning with an Italian accent but he said like good good morning beautiful and I was like babes babes my ears are hurting babes like please stop <laughs> oh my goodness so it sounds so good so you said you, you said you spent some time in the uk did you yeah. do your undergrad there did you no no I didn't, didn't, there or yeah i did I, I did both actually because as a diaspora kid if you want to survive you gotta you know earn your bread make yes. your own money mm-hmm. um i did both but i didn't do like a full undergrad because that was like that's that's too expensive so years abroad are lifesavers because you pay taxes sorry you pay your tuition fees just so you pay your tuition the same tuition fee you would pay if you were in italy but then you're in another country okay that's good yeah that's good to hear i did the the expensive route so i i actually did my undergrads there i did my undergrads there but if i think back sometimes i wonder if i should have done another route because the money were quite a lot but still a life experience to learn so i wanted to ask you as well uh, as we you mentioned about your faith i was wondering how was your ramadan experience this year for you i mean this year was like um i guess better than than the two before when we were on lockdown so it was definitely better i guess because uh the thing that i missed most from the past two years were family gatherings and all that kind of stuff that was like literally okay so 
okay this year was like almost normal you know it was almost back to normal the past two years with like the whole isolation and lockdown it didn't feel quite like Ramadan and I guess like all sorts of holidays no matter what your faith is like spending a holiday on your own is not cool because one thing that I like I, I missed the most is like community prayer at night and of course with COVID there's like there's no community <laughs> you're on lockdown that i missed a lot and this time this year was possible again so i really enjoyed that and it felt like like almost back to normal though i guess like people always have this idea that it's, you know it's so hard it's so terrible and um how can you work how can you do that and i also know that in some workplaces they try to force employees to eat but i'm like it's 2022 people do intermittent fasting all the time and that's probably mm-hmm. longer and that's probably even longer than like ramadan fasting because i heard there's one that is like 21 hours fasting like three hours eating and then there's 18 hours 16 hours fasting eight hours eating something like that people do that and it's okay it's cool it's just because he has another name he has another name and it's westernized so it's okay exactly but um so we don't believe in self-harm so it should never be harmful that means that if you if fasting makes you feel like dizzy uh gives you blood problems or anything like that you shouldn't be fasting in fact like everyone like with diabetes doesn't fast anyone with with like any like sort of like disease that comes from like not eating um or like sickness or anything it's not eating um doesn't fast let me think old people don't fast kids don't fast pregnant women don't fast i don't fast either when i'm on my period so all of this because like i said we don't believe in self-harm and nothing should be like harmful if you cannot fast you shouldn't but i don't think that's usually clear to people they just see it because again islam is only narrated through fanatism so imagine people only know fanatism about you so to just have this idea that everybody's forcing you to do things that you don't want to do no it doesn't exactly work like that if people fast it's because they want to especially one thing i always say especially in the west where you're a minority who can force you to do anything <laughs> honestly yeah no that's nobody, it nobody around you like is muslim who's forcing you who's like what and yeah. especially if you're like an adult and and live in living on your own like who do you think is forcing me yeah no Nobody's i absolutely i absolutely like agree i'm i'm not muslim i'm christians but still mm-hmm. understand uh, to a certain extent, I feel I understand what you're talking about. There are times in my faith where I do fast, for example, mm-hmm. especially during Easter, for example, I do mm-hmm. half a day fast. I can't fast as long as I used to do in the past because lately I've been I've been sick on a couple of occasions, so I'm okay. very careful about how I fast. Of course, of fast. course. But for me, it's just, for me, it's quite normal. I always understood Ramadan as fasting and people honoring their fasting. So I wouldn't go question people, if you're drinking water, I know you're fasting. So why should I come up to you and ask you if you're drinking water? <laughs> like, does not make sense to me. To me, it never yeah. makes sense. If I've always found strange about this society, the assumption that just because somebody does a choice out of their faith, is assumed to be forced or the person is not choosing. There were periods in my life where I didn't really drink a lot of alcohol and now I do. But it's because I made a choice at that time with my faith 
I needed that period of not drinking. And so, but people, when I say I wouldn't drink, they would be like, but why? But you know, it's not bad for you. Da, 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 da. And I'd be like, I know it's not that I don't know, but I made a conscious choice. And if we are living in, in democracy, as you all, we all agree that we're living in democracy, I should also have the choice whether if, or what I want to drink or what I want to eat and what I want to wear. And so I don't understand all this questioning around how I'm carrying myself, I'm living my life, I'm living my, I'm living everything, my sexual life, wherever it is. Well, I do understand it actually. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh yeah, please go go ahead. I think like colonialism ended formally, but one thing, people weren't like that, I guess in a way, everybody forgot to unteach or unlearn is that, is this idea that everything that is commonly agreed or understood by white people to be okay is okay and civilized everything else is just barbaric and Mm -hmm. and that's how I see it honestly because louder and because if you do anything that it's not mainstream but you're not white it just considered to be barbaric. Like I said, there's like this huge double standard. So so if you like do yoga and meditation and all this kind of stuff that that come from that comes from like Hinduism and Buddhism and such. And you're white, it's cool, it you know, and all of this stuff. But if you're not, like there's like this whole like stigma like why are you where why are just like women monks shaving their hair and all this kind of stuff? It's so barbaric. And then it, it, it comes down like to literally everything. The drinking again if you're sober it's that big of a deal but i'm like it's not my, my biggest issue is that we're talking about choices that don't affect anyone else but ourselves why is that what yeah. i what i wear what you wear doesn't concern anybody else but ourselves what we eat and drink doesn't concern anybody else but ourselves what we believe in uh, how we pray whatever it doesn't concern anybody else but ourselves it doesn't literally doesn't affect anyone else's life but ours and if you think it really affects your life that somebody is is ordering something that it's like not a beer at dinner or it's not ordering a glass of wine or it's not eating something that has ham in it. it then you're trying to impose a lifestyle on others which is different you cannot like call it freedom yeah no i absolutely agree and i'm glad you brought up the colonialism aspect because literally i feel you verbalize a feeling that i always add i always feel whenever people trying to impose especially white people I have to say trying to impose a certain way of life on myself i feel like it's colonialism 2.0 or 3.0 or 100.0 because at this point we saw we're seeing different form of colonialism and it's always that same attitude that unfortunately i have to say why people do carry because i do see my parents maybe they don't always share the same lifestyle lifestyle as some of their friends or their or some of my peers but i don't see that same level of entitlement of imposing their beliefs or their lifestyle on other people of course would they prefer people living in a different way way of course everybody kind of prefers that everybody would live in the same as the same rules and the same beliefs or whatsoever to a certain mm-hmm. extent but still they will make a way to 
they will take their time they will have done half a second which is be like why they live like that and then the second after and the minutes after they will be oh, okay i understand meanwhile i see sometimes with like people repeat repeatedly trying to impose their lifestyle on other people and it's just very interesting <laughs> when i say but yeah so the next question i have for you i like the conversation the way it's going i'm really enjoying this and oh it's so many like insights and so many things to think about so girl you have a big energy on instagram i love your page i saw to you the series for Eid as well with your thank you with the clothing outfit which was amazing and i really 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 do love your energy could you share with us about the vision behind your instagram page i think i started it for fun actually i was really into fashion and i saw that people were sharing their passions basically and putting them online which is what i did i started doing it it grew organically really slowly and then maybe i started like also addressing some more let's call them intense topic and that always gives you so much views and so much tension and i'm glad i'm glad that there's that generational switch for which people are also interested in these topics but at the same time i'm not an activist and i don't want to call myself such because my work is not comparable to the work of any activist the knowledge that i have is based on past experiences experiences that also come like from privilege and like i'm not ashamed to admit it because we also have to understand that in this system we all like a bit privileged in a way of course we're less privileged because we're women we're women of color and all of that but you know what i mean um so i i don't call myself an activist or remotely that because my work doesn't compare to theirs but yeah, sure. when, once you realize you have a platform sometimes you want to raise awareness about certain topics that go beyond you know fashion or makeup or skincare even though i know people that people like you know <laughs> seeing if certain things actually work if they don't work and hacks and all of that also because like i'm really honest i'm not that good with makeup i'm good with makeup hacks and i'm good with anything that it's simple but makes you look fab that's um, it that's the secret that's, that's the secret. secret so i'm always trying these hacks and um I'm trying to make reels about it and all of that so that was w- w- what was behind it and my idea was like just to show that because everyone like me was never narrated as like someone ordinary i was that was just like one way for me to like change the narrative and the narrative I'm about myself which goes back to what was what I was telling you before um that you know at a certain point you realize that you never had time to talk to yourself to figure out what biases did you have about yourself that society you know put on you like taught you implicitly if if we also want to add because if society says that the beauty standard looks a certain way and you don't even belong to that ethnic group of course you're not gonna see yourself as beautiful for example and of course people are never gonna compliment you because they only see like the you know tall girls with blonde straight hair and blue eyes and pointy noses is pretty and of course that's something that i was dealing with i still deal with which is imposter syndrome and lack of self-validation because i know that sometimes people see online and think you have it all figured out and you know that your life is perfect it's not it's way (laughs) it's so far from that it's so far from like being perfect and i am i'm i'm pretty aware of the fact that i'm not a that good at sharing this part of my life which is something that i'm working on which is why i took a bit of like a social media hiatus it's been i think it's been two weeks now 
I was grieving a loss and then I was sick and <laughs> everything happened at once but um, I'm really working on all these aspects and I know it's something that women of color deal with a lot imposter syndrome lack of self-validation and all of this and I'm trying like to find a way to channel all of this and to remind people that I'm doing my best to like honor like my ancestors, my family sacrifices and all to be to at least look or give the idea that I'm like extremely confident, extremely proud to give those like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna make a great future for myself kind of kind of vibes. But at the same time, I want people to be aware that I'm also battling the same battles that they're battling. Um, yes. Because I know that what I'm dealing with is what many people deal with. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of like a lot of conversations happening to um in front of my therapist i remember somebody asked me i was doing like how do you call them like the 73 questions those to get to know someone that's also something i'm like trying to do again after covid yeah. and somebody asked me like do you often cry and i was like it depends <laughs> and they're like when was the last time you cried and i was like two days ago in front of my therapist and they were like did you cry alone or did you in front of someone i was like um i was in front of my therapist <laughs> so yeah there's also like a lot of that but let me just say that i know that opening certain doors in the back of your mind so that like you know link you back to so so like to years years back you know that you think something is so behind you but then it's not because the hurt is still there you just like you know you just close it up in a box but it's still there it's worth it it's worth it to make that child hurt um your inner child or whatever you want to call it it's worth to go through that pain all over again if it means healing and i feel like Especially if, if, if you were raised in Italy, where everything still needs to be done, especially back when we were kids and even before. And I know that maybe if you were born in the mid or late 90s, you had it easier because um, I'll just make an example here. Um, I have friends who were born in Italy in the late 80s and they told me that they the teachers used to tell their parents to speak Italian to them and not their native native language so they wouldn't confuse them. I was born yeah. in, the, in, in the mid, late night. I was born in the late 90s, actually. Mm. And in the late 90s, there was this... Um, there was actually this, like... We, we call them circolari, which is... It's not a law. It's actually like a... Messaging. It? it would be a yeah. messaging. Like, it yeah. Messaging. Um, that was distributed in most, like, schools to most teachers to encourage um, foreign parents to speak to their kids their native language so that the kids would learn Italian correctly in school. And at the same time, they would grow bilingual. And that's always a plus because you develop more sides of, to your brain. That's usually how it works when you grow up bilingual. You know, you have certain parts of your brain that are more active. And that's already like a big difference. But still, identity-wise, there was still so much to be done. Absolutely relatable. Because I think... I, I grew up, like, I was born early 90s, so for me, I grew up speaking Italian at home, actually, so I was part of that generation, and I believe that was probably your area, which was more progressive, probably than mine, <laughs> because I'm from Lombardia, yeah, near Milano, and <laughs> near Veneto, so nobody was thinking about people developing different um, sides of the brain. <laughs> I, I always bring up Emilia, you know, I didn't want to bring it up again. So Sumi is from Emilia, and Emilia is like, it's true, it's one of the most progressive regions in Italy. There's nothing that you can say about it. I know that everybody, also, I think... 
I think Milan is probably an exception in Lombardia, as in like it's pretty progressive, but probably the rest of the region is not that progressive. But it's true, it is progressive. Think about like citizenship law. You know that almost every single um, comune, and comune is like the local authority. What is it? Town hall? Yeah. Yeah, local council in the UK. Every local council in in Emilia, even though the law that so basically, um, you know, has citizenship law uh, works in Italy. If people like the audience doesn't know, basically, if you're born in Italy to foreign parents and they don't have citizenship, you're not Italian. Uh, you can request citizenship um, when you're 18. You have a year to file uh, for citizenship. If you don't do it within a year, then your chance is gone. You need to file it as if you were an immigrant and wait four years. And there's also this trick thing even though you're born here you need to prove that you lived here for 18 years non-stop so that means that I don't know if your parents move and bureaucracy messes up something and you have a three months of like residency gap in your record you don't get citizenship so that's how messed up it is but local council in in Emilia Romagna what they do is that they take care of like of everyone that turns 18 who was born there to make sure they get citizenship. They literally call you and they tell you, it didn't happen to me. I was lucky enough to be born to a parent that had Italian citizenship, even though he was an immigrant. But uh, here, the local councils, what they do is that basically, if you're born there, um, when you turn 18, they call you, they tell you, bring these documents and we'll file it for you. And within a few months, you get citizenship. Which is something that should happen anyway, based on the 2013 law, the Decreto Fare, which is the law that was going to meet the gaps of the citizenship law yeah but this did not occur like i i thankfully as well went through a parent to obtain italian citizenship but Mm -hmm. yeah we can definitely see see there is a different my cousin it's a couple of years younger than me he didn't get a call when he had to apply for citizenship and when it was this time he's Italian parents like uh, which weren't actually his parents but they grew, they brought him up as his, as their son they were shocked about the fact that he had to go through this process and we well that's usual and uh, yeah Don't unfortunately yeah I unfortunately. people you know some people take you know because especially young people um mm. or like when you're talking to them and of course they're used to see people that are not like like let's call them stereotypically italian being italian they take for granted that you have an italian passport but i like to remind them <laughs> even though i grew up completely clueless i grew up completely clueless and until you know i was old enough and then people explained to me that they didn't have citizenship and all this kind of stuff like i literally never even been to like a questura for like i didn't know but um you see but i want everyone to grow up that clueless because yeah. like I thought I was, I thought and I always felt I was Italian and my documents confirmed it. And I want, because sometimes, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but this is what happens when you interiorize like anti-blackness, anti-immigration, anti, you know, every, any feeling that is anti-you, but you don't realize it. That's why I was telling you, like, you know, when you, when you, 
when you grow up used to all answering too many questions but never listening to yourself you don't realize these things so I had uh, I don't want to call it the opportunity I just want to call it the chance to meet people that were like children of immigrants that were against you know changing the law and they told me that things such as like you know you need to earn citizenship and I'm like uh, excuse nobody, me? Earns, nobody earns citizenship in this country nobody because you, you get it by blight by blood right so how no because you know we grew up and you need to remember that you're not fully Italian. what makes you Italian by the way a piece of paper that's, that's it. literally what makes you Italian okay and I don't see why Hans Hansen who was born in the far land of Denmark just because you know his great-grandfather was born in somewhere in Italy um, three generations ago he can get citizenship and he doesn't speak a word of Italian and somebody who was born here cannot has literally to go through hell because let's be honest um bureaucracy here is a mess it is what it is and it's not an insult to anyone because like everybody says it literally there's not a person you would ask and tell them how's bureaucracy in italy i'm gonna tell it's fine it's a mess how many times have they lost people's documents in the process i know someone who was born in italy and got citizenship at 42 because when he turned 18 he had like a gap on his residency record due to the fact that his parents like moved cities and of course it wasn't it was like a bureaucratic mistake and then scratch that and then he applied again they lost some documents and then he applied again they got i think his birthday wrong they had to correct that waited some more like can you imagine bloody Born, insane it's bloody insane years. and we're not talking about someone that how can i say it that's not doing anything like it's someone that like actually has a business that means he's paying more taxes than the average person that's why i say nobody earns citizenship and let me tell you something people who don't pay taxes still keep citizenship and louder please louder louder don't tell me how to earn that's it and not against prisoners or people that are incarcerated but we have to say that honestly like these standards that are not applied to natives all of a sudden do get applied to people that are natives just have different origins so this is absolutely absurd and i'm glad you brought up the issue of citizenship which is something that I've mentioned on the podcast and also i want to remind people that on the 24th of june is going to be discussed the new reform for the citizenship law here in italy which is the youth scholar and it would be interesting to see how that conversation will go in the parliament in this case in the house of deputies so yeah because this is the second attempt yes is the The first attempt attempt. was made in 2012 and it was actually made by a deputy of like foreign descent he tried to reform the law i cannot remember his name i'm sorry i'm really bad with names um not because it's too hard to remember no it's just because right now i cannot remember it but i remember that the law passed at the at the so we have two chambers in Italy it passed the chamber of deputies but then it was stuck in the senate because some right wing senators like blocked it with like a thousand amendments you know how much it yes, takes to go correct. through a thousand amendments years yeah and um, it was more than a thousand and it was more than a thousand actually it was more than it a was thousand a lot. Yeah. yeah it was a lot it, yeah. i need to think about the, no- the number right now is not coming to me but i remember it was a lot well i remember something around i still remember like this this the talk i still remember how it sounded like mille mindamenti because it was on every it was on many newspapers but maybe it was even more which makes it even worse but 
but that was like exactly 10 years ago in 2012 because I was doing some research and I found out that in 2012 they tried to change the law but we see how it went let's see how it goes this time that would be interesting I'm kind of scared oh and I'm not getting my hoops up this time like the first last time that was not approved that was at the front forefront and it was tiring and it was yeah tears were poured we were down there at the Senate to the very last minute to see this law approved so let's see this time how it goes let's see let's see so i wanted to talk with you about like we talk about italy we're getting close to an hour so i want to wrap it i'm trying to keep it short and sweet so i don't know which question though to pick though so let's let's cut it you can cut it okay that's perfect but i think this conversation is so interesting so i don't want to even cut it i think it will be very enjoyable for people to listen to that so of course i created diaspora because i believed in the importance of being in conversation with people Mm -hmm. from the diaspora so i was wondering like you as a northern african do you consider yourself as Afro-Italian, first of all, because I remember my friend, oh, she's a Jab as well, she's from Egypt, she's mentioned that, oh, I find a challenge, like, considering myself Afro-Italian, because I may not be seen as Afro-Italian because of my lighter skin. So that's the first part of the question. And then I'm also curious around the conversation around blackness in Northern Africa, because I know that terms used uh, towards people, darker-skinned people and black people that refer to correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. to the term of slaves that is using Arabic so I feel uh-huh. like with Black Lives Matter this has been brought up again yeah. so I'm curious about that conversation in okay. the nor- especially in the Northern African community okay. mm-hmm. so I think here we need to make like a big distinction in the sense that they call it MENA region like Middle East and North Africa because they speak the same language which which is Arabic, but actually it's not that similar because, you know, people don't speak standard Arabic normally. People learn standard Arabic in school. People learn, they write and read in standard Arabic, but they don't speak standard Arabic. They speak local dialects of Arabic. And so coming from that extreme West in that region, my dialect is so completely different from like anything that is spoken like in the Middle East. It's similar to what is spoken in Algeria, a bit to what is spoken in Tunisia and maybe a bit in Libya, but that's it. In in Egypt, they, they speak a variation of Arabic that it's closer to like the, the Middle East. And I know that a lot of like, but I don't mean like to generalize on this or anything like that. I don't want to speak, I don't want to make, I don't want to make it like a statement based on a stereotype. No, nothing like that. But it, I had this conversation before with Egyptians and they would tell me the same thing, that they don't know where to place themselves because they're there like between Africa and the Middle East. But that's Africa, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's For just me, my impression. Afro- <laughs> and it's still Africa. But this yeah. Whole, this whole like... Okay, so this is, again, my opinion. And then tell me if you agree or not. So this whole, like, topic about obsession with skin, it came it came through colonialism. Because there was, like, a whole topic about um, skin, but not in the same way, in the sense that they had, like, a similar issue. But I'm talking about 600 years after Christ, okay? <laughs> so that's how, like, back we go. But 
it was more about you know people in in the middle east being like the gulf and such being like brown and people from like east africa being black if you get what i'm saying because in the levant which is like the northern part of the middle east people are of like super complexion they're like literally white passing you know but in the gulf like where saudi arabia is in yemen and all these kind of places people don't have like a light complexion do you follow more yeah. or less yeah yeah so, yeah yeah no the, absolutely the, the whole topic was about like recognizing let's call them like foreigners based on like the the color of this of, of the darkness of their complexion so to speak and it wasn't it was never how how it is right now that i feel um and i and and it had to stop because like when islam came it eliminated all of these differences because like in in the eyes of god we're all equal and we were created like in different tribes and different you know different groups with different languages so that we could mix and know each other so you know the this like reversed everything and then i feel that changed with colonialism everything goes back to colonialism <laughs> I know I'm yeah. sorry but yeah a lot of things do draw. yeah and a then, lot of things do. and then yeah. it went back to that and of course when the british and the french came they came with their system for which they preferred people with lighter skin complexion they put that ideal like they they literally transmitted that ideal to the locals and yes they started but that started that was especially in the middle east because like in north africa it's a bit different that yes there are like literally names to like indicate um people with darker skill complexion that refer to the fact that it's literally the it's literally the word slave and there was like this huge debate in lebanon i remember with black lives matter where like they decided to change the name of a whole cookie because so it's it's a cookie that it's like round you know and it's cylindric actually and it and it's covered in chocolate and they used to call it call it literally blackhead and there was this huge debate and they literally changed the name of the of the cookie because of how respect uh, unrespectful it was whereas in north africa because the northern and the southern parts okay they were never they never had borders until until colonialism that's why i'm telling you like morocco and mauritania were like one country and you look at the map there are literally like lines okay even like between egypt and and, and sudan like it's literally a line and the southern you go into like north african country the darker people's skin complexion complexion becomes i mm. like i said before i have family members friends that it was always in my understanding that skin color didn't make you more or less moroccan that's how like moroccan look so different moroccans look so different and from my experience my very short experience in morocco because like my experience comes like from summer holidays and that kind of stuff it never happened that like you know i was in a shop or you know anywhere anywhere that somebody with like darker skin complexion wasn't considered to be moroccan because like i said it's really normal it's it, it's mixed and it's how it is although something i need to address is that something like i noticed like among arabs is that they should but they don't they don't they don't like to mix especially people that come like from villages and such um for example 
Moroccans want their kids to marry other Moroc to marry other Moroccans. But it doesn't have to do like with like skin color. You get what I mean? Because yes, if you if you if you marry like a black Moroccan, it's fine because you know they're Moroccan. And if you marry like a Tunisian with a darker skin complexion, it's fine because they're you know they're where we come from. And then there's an another layer to that. And like from my experience, again. Nothing that I say that I say should be taken, you know, as absolute truth. From my experience and what I've seen, there's another layer to that for which Arabs in the Middle East, because you know, their Arabic is closer to standard Arabic, they feel sort of like superior to Arabs in North Africa. And and especially like in the Levant, they don't like to like mix with like North African in some cases. And I know that like a lot of Arabs, especially uh those of lighter skin complexion sometimes have some And something that I also like heard off from because that's the thing. We're we're mostly exposed to like light skinned Arabs, but they're not all that there is, you know? And I remember like this black Palestinian actress talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and such and how the situation was in in, in, in the Middle East, you know? And she was talking about how even though everybody everybody claims that such stuff doesn't happen there because unlike what how the west portrays it we don't have like an image on how, of how an arab should look like you know like in in the imaginary of the average arab person you could also be arab benedicta like someone who looked like you could be arab yeah uh, but That's at the, the same name. time what she was saying is that what we have is like interiorized anti-blackness like we do favor like we have a lot of colorism we do mm-hmm. favor everything that is slider something that i noticed myself is that like people in in my family but especially back in uh, in africa which is some and and i'm and i like to highlight this because i feel like that we as diaspora are in this like process of like reclaiming our narration and changing the narrative and realizing how wrong certain things that we interiorize were and all of that whereas i think there that hasn't happened yet because the West is still seen as the major standard, best standard, standard to follow and all of that. But everybody tends to straighten their hair. Nobody likes natural curls, especially if they're like 4C or 3C and so on. And everybody tends to, not everybody, but there's this tendency to dye your hair a lighter color. And then I saw people wearing colored eye lenses, contact lenses on their weddings to have like like lighter, lighter iris and so on so that to me is just that you know interiorize anti-blackness in a way because i see them and i see that they don't like themselves the way they are and they'd like to look lighter and they like to have lighter hair and it's not something done because in that moment of time you just want your hair to look to to, to have that color no 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 you wish you looked that way all the time yeah and you find that more and you pick that because you find that as more appealing and more beautiful and exactly. the assumption and the culture is if you want to look beautiful let it be your wedding day or let it be that you're a wedding guest the option is not your natural hair is anything mm-hmm. that you look different from how naturally you will look so even when you're picking a texture if you're picking anything it's always that 
you go for something that doesn't look as close as to you so no i can definitely understand the idea of internalized anti-blackness i think there is always still a lot to unpack although also between northern africa and arab countries because mm-hmm. definitely you have berber populations as well that have different conditions you have different people that have different conditions as well we see places like libya as well so there is definitely a lot to unpack but i definitely appreciate like your insight and unfortunately anti-blackness is a universal uh, issue colorism unfortunately it is a universal issue i feel Mm -hmm. because even even between like my home the fact that my mom she's lighter i grew up very aware that my mom she's lighter and i can't (laughs) grow up aware of the fact that my dad that is dark-skinned i speak my mom because she's lighter and i can't you kind of have that at your back on your mind people think that kids don't get this stuff but actually we observe a lot and i think we understand a lot and you kind of internalize that in one way or the other and so you have to deconstruct even that you deconstruct the way you get perceived within Mm -hmm. the society you grew up in italy but you have to deconstruct even the things within your own country as well which are problematic too or your country of origin because you have to unpack a lot of things (laughs) yeah absolutely so sumi thank you so much is there anything else you like to share more probably i don't know if you want to share about navigating the job market as a jabby woman or anything that you want to did you have any questions I think the last one would be about you navigating the job market as an Ijiabi woman. If you can reply very shortly, I Mm -hmm. think that would be a good question. I think a good answer that listeners would like to learn about. Okay, so again, disclaimer. I work in a very, let's call it, new industry where people have to rely on young people. So older, older generation has to rely on younger people. And that already is like something different. So I've always been like lucky enough to, even since I graduated, of course, to be dealing with like people who are more open-minded than the average person. Also, you know, when you work like in a new industry where like everything is different from like the traditional workplace, and I'm saying this because most of my work focuses on like digital media and social media and so on. So you cannot ex- exactly hire somebody in their fifties to do that. And and ever since like diversity and inclusion became like a thing. People are like more keen to call you back. To be honest, I used to have two versions of my CV. One without my photo and one with my photo. But I still send out the one with my photo, but I send it out in English. And I send out the one with my photo because if there's anything that I realize is that I don't want to be in a workplace where everybody's racist because they're never, they're never gonna solve the problem you know when everybody is part of that okay unless somebody from above calls for like an exterior review or something like that it's never gonna change what is the point of being like attacked every single day (laughs) our existence is already like exhausting in a way so i wouldn't put myself through that but I cannot deny that I've been through like job interviews where I would I was asked different like very inappropriate questions. Some of them are like the typical questions that 
every single young woman has to go through. I, I'm saying has to go through, even though it's sad, you shouldn't, and it's actually illegal, but you know. Are you in a relationship? Are you planning to have kids soon? And all of that. And of course, there's the added fact that I cover my hair, so people ask me if I can not cover my hair. Which and is insane, by the way. I yeah, if, I, if the photo... that exactly, If in my photo I'm covering my hair, and I show up with my hair covered, what makes you think that if you ask me to not cover my hair, I'm gonna do it? That's the thing that has always, like... <laughs> it's entitlement, it. I guess. But yeah, I guess every work field is different, because... If you, for example, go to med school, you don't really have to send out your CV, you know what I mean? You already start as an intern at the hospital and you build up from there. So even if you want to work in the private sector, that's where you meet the doctors that own clinics and work in in the private sector and so on. So they see you already at work and based on, on that, you know, you can start you can start from there and build a career also in the private field. The, um, every single job that has to be like a state job, you know how it is. Like it's all like technically based on merits. The only problem is that to qualify for a state job, you need to have citizenship. And, you know, with the current law, it can be hard you can be born here and still not have citizenship and then I believe that sometimes it doesn't have to do much with the fact that you cover your hair but rather with the fact that this is that some fields are in some fields they're extremely sexist and that's something we not we have to admit you know they're hardly gonna hire a woman because they see women as liabilities because women have kids and women are expected to do most of like the care work in 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 the family and so so that is usually the biggest issue and of course if you're narrated as like being oppressed and whatever the sexism just adds up you know i'm not gonna hire this person because they're probably weak they probably have a lot of trouble or you know they're gonna be a lot of trouble and stuff like that yeah but if there's anything that i learned is that if you don't want to go through the hardship of like ending up in a workplace where <laughs> they're pretty racist and attack you every day and think that they can clean their conscience by hiring one diversity quota then just put your picture on your CV. Or else, don't. <laughs> and surprise them on the job interview. Oh my gosh. You gotta, <laughs> they're gonna accuse you for killing them. You gotta... <laughs> no, and act, because actually by law, and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not... You don't have to put, like, your photo. You don't have to put your gender identity. And you and I don't think you, 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 you have to put your legal name. You need to give them your legal data once they want to hire you. But before, I think for, like, anti-discrimination purposes, you, you can avoid saying that. You know, I think that's... I think it's more a EU law, probably. Yeah, it and could be like I think that EU was, law. Uh, I think that's... UK but I know in Italy normally mm-hmm. you are supposed to because when I was applying for jobs in the UK I didn't have to put my picture mm-hmm. the only I started putting my picture back when I moved back but before I didn't really have to I didn't mm-hmm. really have to put my picture really oh um, uh, okay because like I worked in Germany as well because I lived there and there it was the same you don't have to like put your photo you can only put it if you want in in some context they really they strictly ask you to only send in CVs without photos without legal names and without gender identity wow that's so yeah. good though because <laughs> no, I no but think... that's so German you know yeah <laughs> but that's that's good too 
too because I think yeah, yeah I think it helps you with the iron process because most of the issues exactly. of the fact of I people not being iron kind of yeah for those kind of biases so you have to look at your iron process unfortunately Italy still has a long way to go when it comes yeah. to iron process just thinking I mean, about the fact that they job, put still yeah the, on job announcement they will put oh, on calls they will put oh we're looking for Bella Presenza I, I like, was about to say mean? the same what does that mean what to say to say but you know like I have like um a friend of mine came and worked uh for like I'm not gonna mention what it was but it was like a big international um event that Italy hosted and she literally told me Western Europe not from the UK but a country close and she was you know one thing I noticed like working at this event I was like what did you notice she's all the volunteers were skinny blonde girls all the people that had to do labor or were janitors were people of color that's disgusting and, I'm sorry like, that's <laughs> disgusting and I think I know which event you're talking about but I'm not gonna disclose it no I cannot disclose it yeah and I'm not surprised because that if you think about it that's the bias that that very old I'm not gonna say very old because if they're working they're not old enough you know to be retired but that that average boomer uh male italian average white male boomer in italy has so the pretty girls should always like take people to places and show them around and all of that like there's some sort of escort and i'm not here like shaming anyone that you know is an escort for a living what i'm saying here is how like they objectify you in a way and how like how bad how badly they connotate that kind of um job and at the same time they just see like people of color good for like labor work and being janitors you know I'm not shaming anybody for like doing that I'm just like shaming the person for like intentionally or unintentionally whatever for like selecting those specific profiles for those jobs only to a point that it was like visible to others yeah no absolutely and uh, that that has me thinking about an episode about a couple of weeks ago in which I spoke about the Abercrombie and Fitch documentary. I don't know oh, if you saw it. I didn't Did see you it. see it? You should watch but it because literally, watched, yeah. yeah, literally is what you just said. But the thing is with Abercrombie and Fitch that was happening, what, 10 years ago about that this was happening and then the company had a turnaround and rebranded because what they were standing for was literally this the fact that you have to look a certain way and looking a certain way meant that you look white blonde and blue eyes and i had my friend she raised from new york she is black originally jamaican and she did not get iron in this case but Hollister some time ago and she's absolutely gorgeous she looks like a model she did not she did not get hired because she did not fit with the standard Benny, and in the documentary I know someone who brought Abercrombie and Fitch to the Supreme Court of the United States because she yes. wasn't hired and she wasn't hired and she had proof that she wasn't hired because you know she was um i think she was also north african and wore a hijab and that's why they didn't hire her she had proof she brought the case the case was accepted by the supreme court and she won that's i think i know who she blatant, is and that's how blatant it was she literally brought them like you know the supreme court doesn't just accept any case and to get yes her case heard you know and that was before that documentary came out that was like in 2015 yeah. i think and yeah, she won a the case, case. And imagine, a case 
was in the documentary. A case was actually in the documentary. Okay. Yeah, she okay. was. Cool. She was in the documentary. Yeah. She was in the doc. Okay, I need to watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Tonight. You need to watch it. You gotta watch um, it. <laughs> yeah, and I I remember this when it came out, and you know it's not easy to win a case against like a like a billion dollar corporation like that. And if you're able to like win a case like that, it's because the proof you have, you know, is so you have evident you have evident evident you know that nobody can deny that that was exactly what was going on at that time especially because like you know i know that in common law system like you're judged by a jury of like your peers or anything like that but still at the end of the day at the supreme court those judges they don't look like you you know what i'm saying (laughs) it's still like they're judges that are not from like the same background and stuff like that that you can say you know they could have been biased or anything of the sort so i guess it was pretty evident and the interesting thing about this well sumi thank you so much for no, being you. with us and sharing such insightful 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 thoughts and your experience and i think people will have a lot to think about and i will have a lot as well to think about where people can follow you first of all thank you for having me i'm glad you enjoyed this conversation uh people can follow me on instagram at covered in layers because like we were talking before i do layer up a lot to look as fashionable as possible because you know that's just one of those things that makes me excited about leaving my bed in the morning that's great that's great i'm happy make sure you go and follow her follow her at work as well with the various pages as well that she has make sure you connect with her and don't forget you can follow the chronicles of a black italian woman on instagram at chronicles of abi and also you can follow my personal page at smiley benny thank you so much ciao ciao thank you bye